Welcome to Business Unplanned, a small business podcast series from BMO. I'm Michael Hyatt, and in each episode, we'll talk to local entrepreneurs, hear their stories, learn from their setbacks, and pick up some new insights along the way. This week, we're talking cash flow with Hannah and Farah Alali. Hey, Nisha. So who do we have today? So did you get a package in the mail with some cookie dough? I certainly did and hid it from my family and maybe I ate all of it and maybe it was amazing. Honestly, I think I ate the whole thing in in like (laughs) less than an hour. You know, there's something to this whole idea of the COVID-20 or something like that, of how much weight you can put on being stuck at home. And I think I think these people are enablers. Honestly, right? So the girls that we have on today's episodes, in the streets, they're known as the dough dealers, but regularly <laughs> they're known as two female entrepreneurs. We have Hannah and Farah on today's episode, and they're twins. Well, uh, double trouble, right? I mean, I'm really excited to talk to them and I've just eaten too much of their food. So let's get them on. Let's get started. Hi there. Hello. I got to tell you, your product is fantastic. So I, I want to start with with something um, is really funny because we almost have this in common. My understanding is that you two being entrepreneurs starts really, really early at age seven or below. Basically, your your first business idea, as I read, was basically <laughs> to take the mail from the mailbox. And if you want it personally delivered to your bedroom, aka I'm assuming your siblings or your parents, you charge yeah. for that. Well, you know what? We are six siblings. We had a big family. Oh, wow. And I think uh, being the youngest, we always tried to you know, come up with ways to keep ourselves entertained. Everyone was so much older. Nobody wanted to play. So we found ways to interact with them. And I think little entrepreneurial projects were one way to do it. Yeah. And now we we didn't know this at the time, or maybe we did that. We were just, the demand was there. They obviously wanted their mail. So we just had to supply it to them. It was just something fun to do. And it kept us busy. You know, it's funny because I always wonder, you know, it's funny. I, I remember my parents, like, letting me sell out our garage sale at age five. I was always like this. I was always selling stuff. I was always trying to build stuff. I was always trying to cut a deal. I remember, you know, having a newspaper route, dialing for dollars, doing stuff at 13. And I was always driven like that. Were you always like this and different from your siblings? Always. Always. Yeah. Again, we would just keep ourselves busy. So people ask us, you know, like, did you always want to start a business? It's, it's, It's like you said, it's always been in us. Um, we just needed to put our efforts towards something. Was your, was your mother or father entrepreneurial or was it just you? Yeah, my dad has his own business. And so, I mean, maybe it was sub- subconscious from that, yeah. um, but it was something that we were always passionate about. And we always found that we worked well together, not just because we were siblings, but we found out from an early age that we had different skill sets that complemented each other. And uh, it just worked. Mm-hmm. Okay, so fast forward, you both had jobs and then you got into this cookie dough idea. How did that start? For us, the business started as a passion project. So it wasn't something we were looking to do full time to pursue. We didn't know where it was going to take us, both working corporate jobs. And I think we were looking for something to be passionate about outside of the nine to five. And yep. so cookie dough is just something that was always emotional for us. It's very a very nostalgic product. And uh, we were sick of just going to the grocery grocery store and buying those, you know, pre-made tubes and we wanted other flavors and we didn't want to feel guilty about it. And so we kind of just thought to do it on our own. We knew a lot of our friends related to it. 
and uh, we just got to working. We have no experience or background in food whatsoever, but we got the certifications. We did the research, all the food chemistry, and uh, just started from the ground up. And now we've built like a network within the food scene in Toronto that we've leveraged. So basically, you're kind of um, definitely a treat. You know, not supposed to have it all the time, but yeah. Do you do you find it kind of interesting that you're kind of going against the trend of healthy living? It's to kind of like, but you know, this is a uh, you know, a comfort food or how do you see yeah, it? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, when we first started, we did have an idea of wanting to introduce protein in it and make it some sort of a wholesome product. But I think it was within our first few weeks, we did have a customer come and, you know, he was like this buff guy really into like bodybuilding. And we told him our idea. He's like, you know what? If you want to eat a cookie, just eat the cookie. Like you don't right. need to, like, if that's what you want to do, you don't try to justify it and make it some sort of healthy thing that you're eating like just indulge so we've kind of gone with that now not to say that we do have some ideas of wanting to go into different the like different niches of food but that's kind of the thought that's been with us throughout the last couple of yeah. years we do have a lot of fitness enthusiasts who reach out yes. and and love the product despite their lifestyle they're always looking for a treat now and again and we're very into our health and nutrition and fitness as well. And we've been able to maintain that lifestyle while taste testing and eating this product as well. Yeah. That's amazing. So, so how did you, right now, I think you have some pop-up stores. Do you still do that? I saw this lovely one on Queen Street, this pink store. Yeah. Is that, was that a pop-up? Do you still have that? Do you, do you, how often do you do that? So the pop-up idea started um, because we really were looking for a proof of concept. Was the city looking for what we wanted to offer? And so we started three years ago. Our first pop-up was in Kensington. We were there for the summer, alternated days off because, again, we were working full-time. And so we would work it from the ground up ourselves so that we knew what it would take from a labor perspective. And um, at the end of the summer, we closed down shop and we're like, okay, well, that was fun. We didn't know what was going to happen after that. And then we just got an influx of messages like, okay, well, where are you going to pop up next? Where, do, where can I get this product? Like, how do I get it after these few months? And that's when we started thinking, okay, like people are looking for this after the fact as well. And so we still weren't sure of the concept if it was viable long-term. And so we continued with the pop-up idea and that way we were able to alleviate risk. We were able to have it on the side and, and continue to manage it with our jobs. Um, and then it just created demand as well, because if we're in different areas for a limited time, then there's the increased demand. And so our last pop-up was last summer. It was our longest pop-up of eight months. We usually close down for the winter. This summer obviously took a turn. We weren't able to have a pop-up. And so we've pivoted during COVID and now are able to offer direct to consumer in another way. And do you have staff right now? Do you have employees? Yeah, so we have two girls that are in the kitchen and then two interns that help with strategy, graphics, partnerships. Tell us a little bit about your first employees trying to meet payroll. Do you have the cash to do that? How do you do that calculation? Yeah, so Hannah and I did everything ourselves from the ground up because we wanted to understand, okay, what it took so that when we did bring someone on, we were able to train them properly. Now, we didn't pay ourselves as we were doing this. So bringing someone else on, it was... It was a little bit scary and nerve-wracking because we're now introducing someone else and we're now accountable for someone other than ourselves. So I think we calculated like 20 times, like, okay, are we comfortable with bringing someone on? The numbers say we can. We're comfortable that we can because we're growing. Um, so I would say the first employee was probably the scariest. And then from the second and third, it got a little bit more comfortable. But again, those calculations never stopped. And I think what was most surprising to us is the motivation that came with 
being uh, someone's manager boss, keep making sure they're staying motivated, um, aside from just dollar compensation. And I think something that was a big lesson to me, especially was as much as they're working for us, we're working for them as well. Now, you went through a time where you went through a lot of effort to apply for a loan and you got declined. Yeah. And and we have this golden opportunity because Emily Kerr is the VP of business banking at BMO. So we get yeah. to ask her right away, actually, some tips on on how to apply for a loan, especially since I've told everybody, like, look, after kind of March 15th, the whole world's changed. And so I think almost like what happened before that is not so relevant. Right. right. And, and and reapplying and recoming to the banks now with a total new positioning and a total new structures may be really beneficial. So maybe, Emily, could you talk a little bit about what life is like now for a business applying for a loan, what you might want to see besides free cookies? Sure. Thanks, Michael. You're right. The world did change. Uh, once the COVID-19 pandemic was announced as such by the World Health Organization, there were so many businesses that were immediately facing a revenue cliff, you know, they might have had a temporary close their business or implement physical distancing measurements. And so the world does look different. And at BMO, we've seen many businesses coming to us in the last uh, several months looking for additional sources of funding. And so I think what's different now is we're really looking to see that the business was uh, going concern before COVID-19. We wanted to see how the business was performing. Uh, if it was a going concern before COVID, then we want to understand how is the business being impacted and what is the likelihood that the business will return back to normal business operations in the next six to 12 months. And if we're feeling pretty confident about all of those, um, then there's a high likelihood that we'll be able to help. Uh, but we do need a fair bit of information in order to build the business case to support a financing request. So what we're looking for would be historical business financial statements, confirmation that business taxes are up to date, if there's a business plan and cash flow projections, that would be some of the information that we'd be looking for. So and we can't emphasize enough those, the importance of those cash flow projections because cash flows changed. Cash inflows might have dropped as a result of COVID. Businesses have made changes in the business to help manage their expenses. And so we need to understand what does that forecast look like as we look out into the future. So talking about those cash flows, Hen and Farah, do you, when you do these pop-up stores or you just kind mm -hmm. of sell directly right now to companies or people directly, which one's most profitable and which one do you think is your future right now? So direct-to-consumer has been working great for us right now, um, especially with the uncertainty of the corporate partnerships and, and uh, the numbers there. And so there is a market for direct-to-consumer. We're looking um, at other ways besides online. So let's say like in grocery and, and different distribution channels. So we're looking for different sources of cash flow. However, pre-COVID, it was a lot of corporate events. So yeah, it's a little bit different what our plan was at the beginning of the year versus what it is now. We have had to pivot, but that's not to say uh, we don't still plan to have those corporate projects moving forward. It's just in the interim, we kind of had to decide what our business plan looked like. Yeah. So in the food industry and the investments I've been involved in and, and other entrepreneurs I know, you know, a lot of people in, in the food industry build a good product or a great product. Mm -hmm. And what it all comes down to is execution on the distribution mm -hmm. almost every time. I remember um, someone said to me about retail, uh, getting on the shelf is easy. It's getting mm -hmm. off the shelf, which is much harder. Have you had any strategy going into the main grocery stores or stuff like that? I mean, the, the margins would be a lot less. It's hard to get in there. It's hard to get the shelf space. It's hard to get the attention. But have you yeah. tried that method? 
So I think it's great because I have, um, I used to be a retail buyer. And so I knew, I knew from the beginning that we did have to prove our product and make sure there was a demand and get our labeling and packaging and the quality down pat um, so that we weren't just rushing into things because it would, it would have been a worse situation to rush into things again, like not have it come off the shelf. And then our chances would look a lot different there. And so I think we're taking it. slow. we are, it's been three years of us not approaching uh, that model, the distribution model. And now we're starting to look into it because we feel that we can be successful. So yeah. I think for us going slow to go fast was important. And we have had interest from a couple grocery stores. To be honest, we just haven't been ready yet. We just wanted to make sure everything was sound. Well, what, what is the ready yet? Is that you can't produce enough fast enough? Or like what, what's the rate limiter there? Yeah, it's uh, our production site. So now we work out of a commercial kitchen. Can we produce more on another, like on other grounds, a bigger space? Um, it's the labeling and nutrition information. The shelf life. Yeah, the shelf life. I would say picking which SKUs are a top seller. Yeah, like that that took a little bit of time to collect. So just so everybody knows that's listening, there's usually two ways to do this. You either uh, have a kitchen and you do what you do something called co-packing, which basically means mm-hmm. you outsource it to somebody else. You give them your formula, yeah. they make it and deliver it. But yeah. the, the downside to co-packing is you give a bunch of your margins up. So where you can probably keep 50% margin or something like that, gross margin directly, you're down in the 30s but you don't have to buy all the equipment, all the capital costs. Totally. So if you had to scale, have you ever thought about co-packing and putting it over to another area? Yeah, so there's a there's just a little bit of a technical issue with co-packing that we're trying to get around and find the right co-packer. Um, with our product, what makes it safe to eat is um, obviously no raw eggs, but it's also the consumption of raw flour, which is dangerous. And so a lot of these machines that co-packers are using, you have to thoroughly clean it if you're putting through the heat-treated flour that we use so that it doesn't contaminate with raw flour, uh, which right. would normally be fine. So I think it is possible. I'm not going to say it's not possible. Um, people do it, but we're just trying to work our way around it. Yeah, work our way around it right now. So so if we meet you in a year from now, would you do you think your, your plan is to be more successful direct to consumer through a store? Do you want to work with a co-packer? Now? Like, where do you see the business going in the next 12 months? <laughs> So we've noticed that a lot of people are reaching out outside of the city because our delivery zone is within Toronto and, and into the suburbs. There's a lot of people reaching outside of the city saying, how can I get your product? And so there are people reaching out and our problem now is, which is a good problem to have, how can we make it easier for people to buy? And so I think distribution is the best way because someone can go to the grocery store or to shoppers or to, to a regular retailer and pick one up as they're walking through. And so just making it easier for people and make having more access to the consumer, I think is, is a good way for us and where I would want to be a year from now. So to, to scale this business, do you need more capital? Right now, we haven't found that we need it. I think to your point, if we do get to the co-packing stage and, and we are looking to take ourselves from a seed to a watermelon, then, then we yeah, would. down the line. Yes. Yeah. So have you, you haven't taken on any investors? No, there's been interest, but we haven't met someone who can take us where we want to be as of yet. Other and, than and, just and, and so what, what would you want in an investor? To understand our vision is, is a great point, a relation, a great relationship um, that they have within the industry. Um, we want someone knowledgeable that, that we can go back and forth with. They learn from us and we learn from them. Yeah, something outside of just having that money investment. We need some, like we need that knowledge as well. So who who are your advisors right now? Do you have any? Who do you turn to? 
um, each other. Yeah. But we, I mean, we, <laughs> we the great thing some, about twins. Yeah, <laughs> we do have some mentors, um, yeah. but we don't have one or two I could name that we go to for everything. I think based on what the task is at hand, we can look out and and to different resources, but there isn't one person where we consider them our main mentor. But what do you think about that? I mean, it, do you think it's a bit unusual that, you know, uh, you have this incredible benefit of being twins and siblings? I've spoken about how they can be incredibly strong. But do you think it becomes a bit of an echo chamber after a while, especially when this is your first business? You almost listening to each other back and forth and finish each yeah. other's sentences, which is natural, but yes. it's almost like you don't know you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, I think it would be great to have an advisor, especially because it's our first business to your point. And so having being able to save the time, not to say we can't get there on our own, but it would be a great resource saver in terms of time would be super beneficial. So how would you what do you think the best way to, you know, dramatically scale this business? Let's say you want it to be a lot, lot bigger and have cookie dough all over Toronto um, or even other places. What would you have to do? A, A retail partner would be a great start. And, and right now, do you, have you rented a kitchen or do you own a kitchen where you make your cookies? So we, we rent a kitchen. Right. We don't own the, the asset. Right. Which is probably a pretty smart idea. You don't necessarily yeah. have to. And, right. and have you, but you haven't found a co-packer at all that would have the ability to produce this or they not just won't clean the machines yet. enough? Not as of yet. Yeah. Not, not at this point. We're still in the process of looking. And now a message from our sponsor. So Emily, what are you thinking here? Like you're thinking that uh, this is a candidate, it, you know, one way when I ever hear entrepreneurs thinking they don't necessarily need money, it's almost like a good time to go get a letter of credit or go get some money. Like, what are you thinking? Yeah, I'm thinking of a few things as I listen to the conversation. Firstly, I really encourage the idea of business mentorship and business advisors. There's so many great sources out there of folks who have a wealth of business experience that they can share. And so I really encourage folks like yourselves to tap into that. I think as well, we see a lot of businesses who are in a place like yours where you need to do some soul searching and think about what is your vision for the business? Is your vision to scale it up and become massive? And, you know, what's your exit plan? You want to sell the business one day to a larger company? What does that look like? We see lots of different options. Some businesses that it's a lifestyle choice. The entrepreneurs are quite happy to keep it small. It's a passion project for them. They don't necessarily have that vision of really scaling it up. So I think there is some soul searching there to get really clear for yourselves around what is your vision for this business? What is your exit plan? What is it that you want to get out of it? And what impact do you want to make uh, with the business? And then I think to Michael's question about um, sources of capital, there's lots of capital available right now. Uh, all of um, all of our businesses here at BMO remain open for business. We're, we're looking for good businesses to invest in. Uh, and same goes for many of our external partners that we work with. You know, we've seen over the last couple of months, the Export Development Bank has partnered up with the major banks to offer the BCAP program. Same goes with the Business Development Bank, which is a crown corporation that is uh, uh, strictly devoted to the the financing needs of entrepreneurs. So there is lots of capital available. I think, you know, for yourselves, you've got some limitations around, you know, keeping your ingredients 
uncontaminated by outside ingredients and these sorts of things. So maybe there is a need to look at investing in the business in a way that will enable you to scale up and grow and get the equipment and get the uh, premise that you need to be able to do that. And so I think that needs to be part of your own business plans that could then be presented to a lender to see what they think. One of the things I tell entrepreneurs all the time is only work on your strengths and hire your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's talk about that for a second. If I said to you, what's your strength in this business? Right. Because I don't believe entrepreneurs at our age and our time should actually be ever working on their week. You're listening to Business Unplanned, a small business podcast series from BMO. Make sure you subscribe for more conversations, learning and insights or visit our small business hub at BMO.com forward slash small business resource hub. There you'll find helpful articles and videos for any stage of business, whether you're starting out, expanding or looking for advice. I recommend the latest content series on crisis planning, which in this current age is more relevant than ever. There's an expansive e-guide that you can download absolutely free with chapters about cash flow crisis or even applying for government grants. And there's four companion workbooks to help you get started. So if you want to see your business one step ahead, visit bmo.com forward slash small business resource hub. I think you should hire those because there's people that are better than us, right? Yeah, yeah. So what? let's start with your strengths. What are you best at? So I'll start. I mean, I think the recipe development and the product uh, I created, I got some help with, but I think that was a strength to develop that. And in terms of numbers, uh, my background that I studied in university is accounting. And so that's the strength that I bring. So if we said to you, the major weaknesses to scale this business to like, and I'm going to throw out a number here. I tell people this all the time. Imagine your business getting to $1 million a month in revenue. And why do I choose that number? I choose that number because I believe that you are real, real, real business at a million a month. Like you're really serious stuff. Mm -hmm. Like not to say that a $5 million company is serious, but if you can show me how the unit economics and the math works at a million dollars a month. Mm -hmm. So I said to you, let's go on a journey to a million bucks a month. And we work backwards what things do we have to put in our cookie dough <laughs> to actually make uh, this work? What skill sets do we need in this company? Um, I think the marketing and branding is definitely right. one. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. about that in a second. Sure. Yeah. What else? I would say the mass reach. Yeah, reach to customers. So, so branding is a big, big thing. And then mm-hmm. what they call D to C, direct to consumer marketing, is another big, big thing. So let's talk about branding. There are so many people that are so talented in branding and they're not expensive. And you can have people around the world compete to brand you. On the marketing side, getting to the actual clients to pay you, what do you think about we're sitting in this world where COVID may go on for another year? But I don't know, whenever there's a vaccine, like we might be, you and I, we maybe have to have the second season of this podcast and see how you're doing <laughs> and then like find out like we're kind of still not all together again, right? Yeah. So let's pretend for the next 12 months, we need to kind of get to people, sell this cookie. And, and let's say not everybody goes back to the office. Already the banks are saying they're not maybe even coming back this year. So that's right. kind of Bay Street is locked out a bit, right? So let's pretend for the next 12 months, we've got to send it to people at home. H- how mm-hmm. are we going to do that? I would say through, in my head, there's two channels. So whether it is distribution going to other retailers so that customers can get product from there or with us, it's direct to our consumer. 
Yeah, I think we have to think about what the consumer habits are. Where are they going now? Like what's considered an essential place for them to venture out to or what are they doing? What are their habits while they're at home? And I think we, along with with those. Have you ever thought about, you know, taking your like web presence and making a better ordering system on there, better branding, and then figuring out how to maybe get some help on the digital marketing side? Yeah, that's a good point. We just launched a month and a half ago. Okay. And uh, it's it's been doing great. I think our right. only hindrance is is that we only deliver. We have a delivery service that only delivers within the the GTA. So uh, working on that alongside, I think improving the website. But now we know that that it is proven that people will go on there and purchase from there. Um, so improving it from here, I think, is is a good next step. What I'm thinking now is I would love to focus our attention first on our direct to consumer, and then as a secondary source of revenue, have that yeah. What do you that think? grocery store? retailer oh, oh, model. Oh, 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 you're nailing it. So Emily, what do you think about the direction uh, for the sisters? Do you think that, you know, do you like this kind of idea of building this bigger D2C brand, maybe going through a bit of a rebranding with some digital marketing? Like, mm-hmm. how, how do you see this? What I like about the D2C brand is you don't run into issues around stale inventory sitting on retail shelves, which I could see being an issue if you're really focused heavily on retail distribution model, Mm -hmm. where I think you have a big opportunity in D2C is to expand your market. As I'm listening to you talk, to me, I feel like it's a bit of a self-imposed limitation around targeting only the greater Toronto area because you have a fantastic product. There's nothing that would stop you from taking your brand national or international for that matter, because somebody in Vancouver, San Francisco, some other city can easily order online, have your product shipped overnight. You just pass along the shipping cost to them. You need to package it in a way that it can be obviously shipped and and that the safety of the product wouldn't be compromised in any way. But to me, Mm -hmm. I think D2C is a great way to go and you might have opportunities to expand your market. What um what keeps you guys up at night? I think it's customer reach. Yeah, yeah, that really. So is. you've, you've I mean, said that a few times. I mean, yeah. what do you mean, just getting outside the city of Toronto? Like, what do you mean? Yeah, we yeah. get a lot of messages. Like, how can I? Like, just name away. If how am I in this province able to have access to Dotio cookie dough? And not having an answer is very unsettling. But but, 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 but okay, but this is just logistics. Why can't this be solved? Um, the shipping costs are very expensive because as you can feel, it's a very heavy product and we can't charge $20 because it also needs to be wrapped in a dry ice pack and that adds to the weight. And so we have tried it, but we're charging like $25 for someone who wants an $11 jar and that just doesn't make sense. And so there's work to be done there and we feel guilty doing that and we can't do that. But what if you say, listen, we do ship in nice packs. It's a minimum $100 order and it's a $25 shipping or $20 shipping package. I mean, we'll never say no. We'll always give that option. We just find a little bit of resistance once you start throwing those numbers. Oh, oh 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. But this has been solved, right? I mean, there's a way to solve it. But yeah. then again, there's 6 million people here. Like we should be able to get it around the GTA yeah. pretty quick, right? Even bigger than the circle you're in. Are you in the GTA yeah. or just in Toronto City? Uh, we just were in Toronto City and we expanded into the GTA. So into Oakville, into Scarborough, Market, Merchant Hill, those surrounding areas. Have you thought about doing a whole thing on collecting data on your clients, like when their birthdays are, all this kind of stuff? Oh, you know, everybody's birthday comes next month. You send them an email saying 10% off for your birthday. You want your birthday cookies? Here's the birthday pack. Yeah, we have a subscription service, uh, or sorry, not service. We have a subscription uh, model on our website. So people subscribe. We have a list of um, emails and their information. 
Uh, I can't say we've done the like the birthday idea, but we do have that information to use. So that's a good idea. Yeah, but I mean, like, you, you know, maybe you can ask people, hey, put in your birthday and put in your partner's birthday, whatever. And, you know, and might send an automatic email saying, oh, it's your wife, Sarah's birthday coming up. Would you like to send her this, you know, gift pack? Boom. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. So collecting data is something that so many small retailers don't do. Collecting data... It's so interesting. In human history, we used to fight wars over land. Then we fought many wars over oil, but now we fight it over data. Data. Data is the most powerful thing in the world, right? So the more you know about your customers, like everything, the more the ways you can slice and dice the data, you can make this company so much bigger and more efficient. Just sending me an email saying, "Would you like cookies for your birthday?" and here's a coupon. But you can use data of your clients to do so many more big sales. And I think people would pay for it too. You know, it's a yeah. birthday, right? It's not a monthly thing. I think you so, both have given us a lot yeah. to think about. <laughs> so yeah, let me sum up my advice uh, for you both. I, I, I feel a lot of kinship to you because I feel like I was very similar to you as a child. I'm just driven and always doing this and always finding a way to get things done. Here's what I'd recommend you do in these kind of three areas. I do think you need to get somebody as an advisor or an investor or someone's aligned in your business with you. And the reason I say an investor is because there's a big difference between somebody who writes you a check, even if it's a minority, and it should be a minority of your company where you're still in control, who's actually paid into the company, who's invested in the company. But someone who um, is successful and has built something before and can give you a piece of advice that is just orthogonal to your thinking. Because my when I watch you two, you're so good, but I think that you you're you you tend to just go back to each other and you need probably that third voice to come in once in a while in some of your decision making process. I did well in business by knowing when to shut up and listen to people who knew what to do. And I did I, I generally didn't know the answers to much about building my companies, but I did know I should shut up and find people who did. And there were things that I was really good at and things I knew I knew better than other people. And there's just things where I'm like, I cannot answer this question. So my ability to pull back and find people better than me in certain areas was a huge secret to doing well. So think about that concept. Um, I would actually undertake, even if it's just academic and you never do it, I would undertake a rebranding exercise from someone you don't know. You can go online to these design sites and put up like 500 bucks or 200 bucks and have somebody redesign your thing just so you see something from some other vision on this this product. And lastly, marketing. I think that you should get some help in digital marketing. I think that there are companies who do nothing but sell, add new clients for you on Instagram and Facebook and all these different mediums, and they're so good at it. And it's called a CAC, a customer acquisition cost. And basically, what does it cost you to take on that client? It's all math, it's all spreadsheet. But if you got the branding redone and you've got uh, some help on digital marketing, I think you could dramatically increase your sales. And then when we see you in 12 months and corporates start opening back up, you're going to go back in and take those juicy dollars as well. But you're going to have such a strong because you're going to have a better brand, better digital marketing, you're going to learn a lot about yourselves. But don't be scared to start off with this premise. I don't know. Don't be scared to just say, I don't know. But where can we get that answer? That's what great entrepreneurs do. They say, that's a good question. I don't know. Whenever I see entrepreneurs pitch me for money, I love when they say, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to come back to you and find the answer. I love that. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you can figure out what you don't know and get that help, it's like another level of entrepreneurship. The ones that are, have humility, which I think you do have, you're coachable. I think you can do all this. 
just get some help and be open to it and accept it. And you will get so much further in this business. It's a phenomenal product. I hope people listening buy it because it is ridiculously good. And I am going to be a new client and a buyer. I, I, I love how open you two are to suggestion and how well you take feedback. So I really appreciate it. And, uh, and please do listen to Emily's feedback on how to get that line of credit or that money for that cash flow. I think it's, uh, it's not every day you get to speak to a VP of business banking live. Oh, so we're so happy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really great, but thank you so much for coming on. And, uh, I love your product. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, we've definitely learned a lot in speaking to you both. And I think we have a lot to think about. I think I'm excited. Yeah, now I'm excited. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Business Unplanned, a small business podcast series from BMO. Join us next time where we'll be discussing staying motivated in business with Mike Darlington of Monster Cat. You don't want to miss it, so subscribe now. And for other resources, stop by our small business hub at bmo.com forward slash small business resource hub.